Welcome to a special interview episode of Broadway Radio. My name is Matt Tamanini. On today's episode, I am in conversation with number one Billboard jazz and pop singer, Spencer Day. Despite being a fixture in the worlds of jazz and light pop music for many, many years, this coming Friday, February 25th, Spencer is releasing his first ever album completely made up of cover songs, and it is called Broadway by Day. One singular sensation, every little step she takes. That's right, every single track on the album is a show tune, and they span decades and generations of musical theater music. Everything from Rodgers and Hammerstein to Jerry Herman to Andrew Lloyd Webber, and even a little bit of Strauss and Charnin. In our conversation, Spencer discusses how he was influenced by having to quarantine in Mexico and how that influence manifests on the album itself. He also explains that while he had avoided listening to much Frank Sinatra over the years to avoid the comparisons of being a baritone singing this type of music, he really dove into a lot of Sinatra recordings to help him get the swing necessary to record some of these songs. He also tells me why songs from a chorus line book in the album and so much more. In the show notes and in the article version of this episode on BroadwayRadio.com, we of course will have links to not only where you can purchase Broadway by Day from Club 44 Records, but also how you can connect with Spencer via social media. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Spencer Day. Nobody else, nobody else is gonna do You know you'll never be lonely with you No You know, it's interesting as I listen through the album, Spencer, that even though I don't think I've heard a lot of these specific songs reimagined in this kind of jazz style, it still feels very familiar to have show tunes um, sung in this way. And what's great about it is is that you do show a variety of different styles in them. Um, But I know that this is kind of something new for you. You haven't done a ton of, you haven't done a ton of covering other people's songs. You mostly do albums of your own work. So I wondered why did you decide to go ahead and dive in and do a full album of show tunes and then why these specific ones? Well, thank you very much. That's a great uh, question to start with. And, um, you know, I think early on when I started, I kind of got my start in music rather late. Um, When I was signed to my first record deal and a development deal, I think Michael Buble and I got signed at the same time. And of course, I loved uh, what he did and I loved what Harry Connick did, but there was a lot of pressure on me to kind of do exactly the same thing. And because I was a writer and felt a real urgency to express my own internal world, I kind of uh, (laughs) bristled at this quite a bit. So for years, I kind of 
I wanted to do them, but I wanted to do it in my own way. Like Fly Me to the Moon's a perfectly great song, but I can't think of anything I would do with it. And actually, Susan Werner, who's a great singer-songwriter in her own right, she was brought in as my performance coach when I was signed to a large record label. I won't say who they are, but they're universally known. And, <laughs> and But they brought her in, to, and she it was very helpful to be a performance coach. And she asked me, she was like, do you like singing Fly Me to the Moon? And I was kind of depressed at this point. I said, no, not really. And she said, every time you sing that, God takes a year off your life. <laughs> and so ever since then, I've been like, when people have asked if I know that song, I'm like, I don't think I really know it. Um, but I guess the point was, I felt that if I'm, if you're going to do something, because I am a songwriter and, and I'm such a fan of original works, whether it's on the stage or elsewhere, I had to do it in a way that felt authentic and not like I was just being lazy. And there's so many songs that I love, Gershwin, Cole Porter, but I really can't think uh, about how I would improve upon the many wonderful versions that have been done. And, you know, there's people yeah. who can sing rings around me in their own way. So I, I really wanted to find things that played to my strengths and my ability to arrange and re-envision the songs harmonically and instrumentally as well. And so but for years, I've had Sirius Satellite Radio record labels and lots of people asking when I was going to do a record and I've never done a full on swinging straight up classic jazz yeah. sounding record before. And I knew that if I did it and my co-producer, Alex Frank, who I call the gayest straight man alive, just <laughs> because of his perfectly quaffed way. And he just knows way more about musical theater than I do because I grew up in rural Utah. So I've really not seen many of these shows on stage and, you know, MGM musicals, because that was kind of considered a wholesome form of entertainment for us. So if it was on VHS, then I got to see it. And, and apart from that, and his dad was a Broadway conductor. So he really, during us coming up with the songs and the concept of doing Broadway songs, realized how many amazing, well-known songs there are. But that really hadn't been treaded over in my particular style. And I've always kind of fit between jazz and singer-songwriter and then very music. Uh, musical theater influenced. I'm a huge fan of the of the medium and the genre. Um, but he was really instrumental in saying, why don't you do that? And it was a way because as someone who loves Broadway, but also works in the jazz world, there's still a lot of machismo in the jazz world. And I think there can be a lot of derision of Broadway as being too cheesy or too mainstream or too gay or or whatever. And it was a great way for us to kind of throw this back in the face of, of some of those jazz haters and remind them that some of their best jazz recordings are from based on songs from Broadway musicals. Um, yeah. So it was a great way to take songs that are so iconically Broadway, but we really scoured them to find which ones had had been kind of done in the style that we wanted to create. And um, we were happy to say we found a lot that we felt we could really give something fresh and new to. Yeah, and it's interesting because a lot of these songs, there are obviously, there's a number of Rodgers and Hammerstein songs uh, in here and, and even some Jerry Herman, which, you know, straddles the line. But a lot of these songs on here, at least half to two thirds of them, come from the generation or two after we started seeing a lot of show tunes be reimagined as standards. So it's almost like you picked the best of that next wave that had never gotten that treatment before. And you were able to kind of marry the two disparate styles to really make something that was new and original, even if the songs were, as you said, iconic and familiar. 
Well, thank you very much for noticing that because that became apparent to us too. I think the songs from the 50s um, and 40s kind of lended themselves more to traditional jazz treatment, or at least that's been kind of the common thinking. And so songs from the 70s, like a chorus line or Annie. And as we were putting this together, we realized, wow, we have like three more records of songs we could do from Great. more songs from Oliver and Pippin. And we just we had to kind of stop at whatever we did recorded these all live with the band. Um, either in L.A. or later in Guadalajara. And so we kind of just went with what we got to. But in the process, like you said, going to that next wave of songs that aren't really touched as much, they still ring very familiar, like a chorus line. And even here in Mexico, most people know one singular sensation. Yeah. They don't know the rest of the song, but they've heard that because it's so iconically of Broadway. But you're totally correct. Not really the type of Broadway that jazz people have traditionally looked at. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned uh, Guadalajara, and I know that you, whether on purpose or not, you ended up spending a decent amount of time in Mexico uh, in the last few years, especially while you were um, thinking about and working on this album. And I, it feels like as I listen, there are a number of songs where perhaps that influence has crept in, whether that's on one of those old um, Rodgers and Hammerstein's classics like Bally High that was reimagined or in like um, Surprisingly Good for You, which obviously has more of that style of music DNA, but it feels very much like um, as you were reimagining those, your surroundings very much could have influenced the way that you arranged them and approached them. If you try, you'll find me where the sky meets the sea. Your special island, come to me, come to me, Bally High, Bally High, Bally High. Oh, I mean, absolutely. I'm nuts for a lot of kinds of Latin American music and continually fall more in love with uh, Mexican music. And we came down, I had already been wanting to do another project of instrumental music really influenced by Wapangos, which is a traditional Mexican rhythm and musical style combined with jazz. So I had set up for my friend Effie Pacero, who's a wonderful, wonderful singer, some dates for us to do down here. And then we were going to go to New York City and San Francisco and that we left on March 8th <laughs> because prior to the pandemic, if you um, if you were a musician, you know, I've sung with pneumonia, unless your legs cut off, you just go. The show must yeah. go on. And so we at that point, it was so early in 2020, we didn't know what to do. And so we were down there when everything you know, uh, frozen place. And so I used that time and made some, uh, friends with, a with, a with a recording studio in Guadalajara where I accidentally ended up being the voice for, uh, for some public service announcements and a tequila commercial. <laughs> oh, awesome. And through that connected with these amazing mariachi musicians and some string players that play mariachi music, but also can play in the, with the Philharmonic in Guadalajara. And so our project, our record label, which we're now uh, releasing this with who I'm so excited to re release it with club 44. They've just been so supportive during the pandemic. We were set to do this before said like so many people, Hey, we just can't commit right now because we just don't know what we can financially predict. I mean, no one could. Right. Um, Absolutely. and so being there and kind of being stuck there at the beginning, I kind of dusted myself off and said, well, let's do it. And you're 
absolutely right that there's certain parts like the Bali high or um, surprisingly good for you that we, I was like, well, I'm here. Let's go directly to the source. I mean, (laughs) the LA musicians are amazing. They're some of my favorite to play with, but I'm so glad we were able to incorporate that sound and they're just world-class musicians and, and really pay homage to that because it's, um, what ended up not being intentional has been this really magical chapter. And were it not for my time here, I don't know that I'd been, I would be able to finish the record in the way that I did. Yeah, that's uh, it's a great not only kind of story. I mean, so many artists especially have pandemic stories, but to actually see that lead to some really uh, incredible artistic output or choices uh, is really fun. And I'm glad that that's documented on this uh, on this album. But we've talked about some of the the stylistic changes that you see on this album and how you've kind of reimagined these songs. But I was also kind of struck as I was listening through that there are some you know, some pretty striking dramatic interpretations as well. Um, some of them are there in the lyrics and some of them are things that you've kind of, I think, extrapolated from the the given circumstances of the show itself, whether that's, you know, kind of singing, you know, maybe from Annie as an adult rather than it being sung by a child, but then obviously losing my mind. Um, you know, it sounds like there might have been some uh, some personal connections to that as well. So as you go into these songs that exist in a world where they are part of a bigger story and how do you kind of balance bringing that story and that intention that is baked into the lyrics into what you bring as an artist and a human to them as well which might be a similar story but not exactly the exact same one that the characters that we're familiar with would sing them in organically well first of all i mean these are just fantastic questions and commentary. So thank you so much. Cause as you know, sometimes you kind of get the same thing time after time. And it's just, it's really wonderful that, uh, to have know someone has thought about this and appreciated it from that angle. But, um, uh, yeah, I think it's even my Broadway friends who are actors. One thing that they love is that every night can be a little bit different in terms of what you're seeing and what you're, you're, you're experiencing. So I think in general, I tried to think of these songs based solely on the lyrics contained within them and, and a little more outside of the context of the show originally, but not entirely. I mean, I think, you know, depending on, and that's where it was so helpful to have Alex who knows so much more about musical theater than I, I mean, I love it every time I get a go, but when my agent, I went and saw Follies, with Bernadette Peters, which I just mm. loved. He was like, I can't believe you haven't seen this production and that. I'm like, yeah, I grew up on a farm. No, I didn't get to see the touring production of Sweeney Todd. I just, so I'm kind of like, for me, I love everything. Even my agent at the time would be like, that was so pretentious. And I'm like, I loved it. You know, so I'm a very easy critic in a way when it comes to Broadway. I just want to see something that's unique, that's taking me to another world and place that I haven't experienced. And all of these songs are so strong on their own that they're kind of scene pieces on their own. So I feel like they're very malleable in that way. Um, and uh, and thanks to Alex, he's been, for example, what I did for love. I always thought it was just, you know, about love. And then he broke down what it's about. And I think like a lot of people, I lost a relationship amicably, but still very painfully during the pandemic. And part of it is what I needed to do for work and for my career and understanding that more from an artistic point of view of what you have to give up to follow your dream and passion really helped connect with that. Of course, losing my mind, which I loved since I saw Follies, but 
Yeah, they're, they're, they're all complex enough that there's like new layers you can keep discovering in them. And so conjuring up the image and the, the setting of the show can be really helpful to get there. And then when you go beyond that, you know, as any of my good acting friends in New York will say, it's like you have to make it real, whether you want to call that a Stanislavski or, <laughs> or not. You're you going know. method. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. As long as for carousel, I don't have to start hitting anyone or yeah, stealing. No, exactly. Uh, well, you, I mean, you have a carousel song uh, in there, but it, it is reimagined. Like it is not the standard. Well, I'm using the, the term standard in multiple ways here, I guess. It's not the standard approach to If I Loved You. Um, it is kind of that more jazzy approach. But, you know, that. I kind of thought, you know, and you mentioned this at the beginning, kind of the the predisposition that people have to thinking about the jazz and musical theater overlap, um, thinking whether that's like thinking about Robert Goulet or Mel Torme or someone like that. But I really enjoyed that there's a number of songs on here that are very... Um, very upbeat and very fun, and, and like there's like on the street where you live I, is kind of you know really jaunty, and it yeah it, it only takes a moment is you know has this great swing, and I want to talk about who you have featured on that song as well. But was it important to you to make sure that you, I guess for lack of a better term, picked up the 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 rhythm on some of these to kind of make sure that you had a variety of not only styles and and songs but also just rhythms and sounds to go with it. Yeah, I mean, I think all of my own original records are pretty eclectic in terms of sounds and I think as we mentioned the Polynesian influence and then the Latin American and the the tango, I think y- your ear when I go to show too, I I want to feel a variety of sounds so it doesn't get too samey. It depends on the type of record. I think some people want a record where they can put it on and it stays more or less the mm-hmm. same, the same tone and same rhythm the whole time. But I, I felt that I, one thing I love to do is take a sad song and swing it <laughs> and then take a, take a swinging song and do it and do it slow. I mean, I'm a, a balladeer. I'd say that's what I do. The best is coming more from the Chet Baker or Julie London school of, of singing. But um, yeah, I mean, I, it's also, I think Alex really helped me swing. It's not that I couldn't swing live, but I think to really live in it. And that's, I think I'd always resisted listening to Frank Sinatra because earlier on when you're a baritone, if you don't sing Broadway, I mean, you know, you're just kind of compared to that a lot. And so I really resisted it, but he just had me listen to hours and hours to really understand how effortlessly the swing is there. And so I think getting these guys in LA who who play with Michael Bublé and and so many other, you know, a lot of them play in the band of Jeff Goldblum and they've played Albert Hall. I mean, these are really heavy duty players in Los Angeles and so effortlessly swinging it just really helped me elevate my my game and I've never done a record where I really had just, you know, straight up swing and tune, so it was it was really fun to look at the ones that lent themselves to that in such an effortless way. Yeah. Well, let's talk about it only takes a moment. As I said, you had a a guest artist on that one who is very well known probably to people who are familiar with your work as well, but also very, very well known in the New York cabaret scene as well. So why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about how that collaboration happened and how it influenced the way that the song is presented on the album. And we'll
Um, well, when I talked to Jane Monheit about doing it, I was, I think, you know, I permanently come from a state of low self-esteem where I can't believe people actually still show up, which is, I suppose, sweet in a way that I'm like, really? You like me? Um, I'm still, and I was like, oh, I'd love to have her do something, but there's no way she's going to want to do it with me and my friend Dave Cause um, and we other people that we reached out to that we thought would say no that weren't available but said we'd love to do something I kind of I was so um, happy to hear she wanted to do it and I kind of let her steer that because she had just seen the Hello Dolly production with Betty mm -hmm. Buckley yeah, on and tour, mentioned yeah. that as a potential song and she just loved that production because she's like me she has a great deal of respect and reverence and also like most good artists doesn't think in terms of genre there's just good songs and the really truly great jazz musicians I know are that way and the good Broadway people I think this weird divide between the two genres that you know Broadway people viewing jazz as kind of elitist and esoteric and then uh, the jazz people viewing Broadway as, I don't, you know, kind of not cool enough or, or whatever is something that people like Jane in a beautiful way just float right over because she can sing Broadway. I mean, she's just so versatile. And so that I just kind of followed her because <laughs> she's swinging. So that that was pretty easy for me. It was just let her do her thing and then I'll, uh, I'll jump on board the swinging train. Yeah. Well, so you got a firsthand experience with her swinging there. You said that your producer uh, kind of forced you to listen to a lot of Frank. So does that mean like, are you like transitioning uh, from balladier to crooner or what's the difference there? How do those things overlap or differentiate themselves as somebody who I don't know what necessarily the difference between those things are, but it sounds like there, they might be a, a little bit of a, a new set of skills picked up having, having worked on this album. Um, Oh, for sure. I think in terms of being a producer and arranger, my my time there of uh, my ability to arrange, I think in terms of sounding, I think this is the best sounding record I've done. And I was at the helm with Alex for all of it. He came down to Guadalajara and he was a little elitist in his own L.A. jazz way. He's like, well, they're mariachi. They're not going to be able to play that. I was like, no, you don't understand, dude, how yeah. good these guys are. And he had also really recoiled at the thought of Mexico. He'd been to Tijuana once and had a terrible time with a terrible singer. And so he came down and you know just every beautiful girl in the city he's like getting to flirt with and he's now he's come down to visit me four times i think since he got the vaccine and all that to to yeah. finish it um but i think my understanding of that genre of music my ability to communicate what i want i think as a producer has definitely improved so much my ability to swing like you said and i think sinatra was really the first person who took the term crooner which was actually pretty derogatory before Frank crooner was kind of as someone who sang in an overly sentimental and kind of schmaltzy way. And then under Frank, it's became that it became associated with someone who, you know, could, could woo the ladies or, or took on kind of a more positive, uh, positive meaning. But um, yeah, I think I, all of that, you want to take even the heartbreak, much like the pandemic, you want to take all the things you struggle with and, and try to, you know, incorporate them and, metabolize them and turn them into something new. And I think that's, and you only learn by failing, right? If you want to be good at ballet or football or whatever, you have to kind of stumble over it at first. And 
Um, I think this record, I would like to think, is kind of the culmination of many years of failing, <laughs> resulting in something coming together really well. But yeah, my ability now live to, to swing and I think also belt more, frankly, than I used oh, wow. to has come a, a, a long way. I just I'm 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 just a stronger singer for it. And and uh, yeah, my just uh, it was so helpful to have someone else because my other records um, I've co-produced some of them, but I've, um, I've not had someone producing me as a singer in this way saying, Hey, sing it like you mean it. Here's the context for the show. This is what that's about in the way that he did for, for being a, a younger guy. He just did, he, and he has such a love and reverence for musical theater, which I think once again, can be a little harder to find in the jazz world. And so that really helped a ton as well. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you go on one one more question here. You've talked about the inclusion of a couple songs from a chorus line already, and the song opens and closes um, with songs from the show. Starts with one and ends with What I Did for Love. Uh, I wonder why you decided to, to bookend the album like that and what it should tell us about the album as a whole and maybe even some of the, the messages or even um, emotions that you were hoping to elicit uh, in, the, in the whole track list. I, I think that uh, one, to me, as I mentioned, even here in Mexico, people will know that opening line even if they don't know how the rest of the song goes. I think getting to reharmonize that and start the record with it kicks off letting people know what they can expect, which is that some really iconic songs, but done in a way that you really haven't heard before. And so for me, I feel like if I send people the record to kind of explain what it is, I usually send that track because it's so iconically Broadway from an, yeah. from an era that are not usually associated with a great American songbook or jazz songs and then ending it was really Alex explaining that my mom used to sing that song as a kid and my mom raised all six of us on her own and she she was a great opera singer she had an audition with the Met in New York she never got to go my dad they they split of course but um wouldn't uh wouldn't let her so she uh I think for her singing that around the house as a kid when I would hear that gave me added to the poignancy of realizing for her what she did for love was raise us and 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 she's so so proud of me that I've gotten to do it um and it just seemed like a beautiful bookend it's like start with chorus line end with chorus line but um yeah it it really seemed to sum up the experience because this record came about during a period of huge loss for me in terms of uh, friends and family that passed away during the pandemic, a relationship I lost, all the work that we lost, you know, all the the loss of faith in humanity <laughs> that I lost a little bit of and I'm regaining now. But, you know, we all have our own story with that. And despite of it, that's the thing I did for love was finding a way to finish this record. And, and for that, I'm pretty damn proud. I got a couple scars to show for it, but I'm, I couldn't be more thrilled. Kiss today goodbye The sweetness and the sorrow Wish me luck the same to you But I can't regret What I did for love What I did for love Look my eyes at 
Right. Spencer, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about this. It's a phenomenal album, and I've enjoyed listening to it, and it'll be uh, up there on my rotation for quite a while, I am sure. So congratulations. Thank you again, and I will be anxiously waiting volumes two and three whenever you decide to release those. Oh, thank you so much, Matt. It's been a pleasure. What I did for love Gone Love is never gone As we travel on Love's what we remember Kiss today goodbye